0: The title of this episode is The Salvation Road. What's involved in becoming a Christian? Is it the same as salvation? What's conversion? What's being saved? And just what is being born again? The following is an in-depth talk about salvation. If you have a question or would like to communicate with one of our podcast hosts, Leave a message or a text at 218-461-0164. For more information about Pure Gospel Network, check out our website. The address is pgn.church. And now, here he is, your guide for the next 52 minutes. The man, the message a student of the gospel, a saint on a mission from God, Brother Don.
1: Well, this is a message that is titled, The Salvation Road. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what's involved in becoming a Christian, and you may recall that it all sort of started with one podcast listener asking how he or she could become a Christian. I shared what has been known as the four spiritual laws, which I agreed could just as easily be called the four spiritual steps. And then a little later, Kevin and Sandy weighed in with some other approaches that were more focused upon certain scriptures That would open the way for someone to make a decision to follow Jesus and to have a relationship with Him. Actually, all of the alternatives are different routes to the same destination, and they have quite a few things in common realizing that God has a different way of life for you, that Jesus' death on the cross provides a way to connect with God, and that you need to make a decision to enter God's family. This also includes the realization that you have sin in your life that blocks your connection with God. You need to confess your sinful nature and specific sins. So let's see, that's about four steps. Not exactly the same four steps as the four spiritual laws, but pretty much the same thing. It isn't the words or even the specific scriptures that make you a Christian. It's that you have a heart that is willing to let Jesus take control of your life. He begins to direct you and change you, and he becomes the center of your life. Now, let's back up about four steps, okay? Before a person can accept Jesus as their Savior, they need to be ready to do this. In other words, something must be happening that makes you desire a change and helps you make the decision to follow Jesus. So if you're going to count the steps, I think we ought to count the steps that make you ready to accept Jesus as well as the other steps. So what are these steps of spiritual readiness? Well, here's what I'm thinking. First of all, there needs to be an openness to exploring what it means to be a Christian. Not everyone is open to that, Um, and so those that aren't open to it are unlikely to accept Jesus into their life. They need to be receptive to God and to his direction in their life. Second, they need to have some awareness that they are not in control of their lives. There is some awareness that God exists or at least some higher power is there beyond themselves it does not need to be a clear cut picture of God um, but more that they are open and willing to hear about God because you probably if you talk to them about the Lord probably they'll be hearing things they haven't heard before they may even know a little bit about the source of evil in life but maybe not. Third, they have something that motivates them to check out the alternatives. They experience a need in their life. They may simply be curious, or they may know someone that seems more on track than they are. Sometimes people get desperate before they're ready to accept Jesus. And fourth, there must be someone who wants to share Jesus with the person. They can't hear the truth of the gospel until someone is there to tell them, someone who is sent by God. You can read about that in Romans 10, verse 15. So there are steps involved in getting ready, and then there are steps in which the decision and the commitment begin. So at what point does salvation begin? Often we talk about the decision to follow Jesus as being salvation. We call it being saved for short. Some people call it conversion. Jesus called it being born again. Well, it's got a number of different names, and I'm not going to say one is always better than the other, but we have to be careful about our language. While we say that accepting Jesus is getting saved or salvation, in fact, those phrases can mean different things to different people in different situations. Take, for example, you go out swimming and then you begin to drown. You need someone to save you. When you're drowning, your first priority is probably not to hear the four spiritual laws. Now, you probably want a lifeguard or someone else to save you from drowning. So being saved is not always the same thing as becoming a Christian, such as in that situation. Likewise, the word salvation is used in many different ways in the Bible. We talk about the gospel road or the gospel trail, but we could use the phrase salvation road as well. While we say salvation in terms of coming to Jesus, the Bible specialists often call this initial salvation. Initial means beginning, the beginning level. So the person becomes a Christian and begins walking down the salvation road. That's a road that leads to heaven but we need to get ready for that trip even the most dramatic conversions require some readiness sometimes god will help get you ready and maybe it'll happen pretty fast think of paul on the damascus road jesus struck him blind to help get him ready perhaps this is what sandy and kevin mean by having the frying pan experience but for most people the preparation takes a while. The Holy Spirit breaks down their defenses by meeting Christians that are really great people, genuine Christians that take an interest in them. Or they get in a mess and in desperation they turn to God. I remember I wanted a dramatic conversion when I was a kid. I went forward over and over in church, trying to have a great, earth-shaking experience. But I was looking for the experience more than a commitment or a lifetime change. But give me a break. I was a kid. And then, when I turned about 11 or 12 years old, I gave up. I told myself, This hasn't worked all these years, and it's not going to happen now. I didn't really lose my faith. I I still believed in God. I just gave up on the idea that I would have a huge experience. Really, I think I stopped worshiping the the desired experience. But I wasn't sure what to do then. But God has his ways. And when I turned age 14, I began to work at a nearby Christian radio station. There I met people who had a deep faith that had grown over time. They helped me understand about the steps of salvation, the steps that go beyond coming to Christ, and the steps that occur over a lifetime. I had sort of given up on God. But he had not given up on me. Curiously, as I worked at the Christian radio station, I learned to lead people to the Lord. And in the process, I learned that being a Christian was kind of different from what I thought. I never had a frying pan experience. And to tell you the truth, that sounds a little frightening to me. Not all Christians have the same experience when they turn to Jesus. Some are more emotional than others. And for some, everything changes overnight. And for some of us, the changes are slow, but sure. So it does begin with a decision, a commitment, or what could be called initial salvation. It's a beginning point but a long ways from the end. At least we hope so. The reason I'm making such a big thing of this is that when you begin to study the word salvation in the Bible, you will find quite a few meanings that go beyond initial salvation. Let me give you some examples. Okay, example one is from Exodus fifteen two. This is uh, where the Egyptians had been overwhelmed by the Red Sea and Moses sings a song and part of that song is the Lord is my strength and my defense he has become my salvation. Now do you think Moses was really talking about coming to the Lord? Uh, I think he came to the Lord a long time before that at least you can go back to the burning bush if not earlier. So he wasn't talking about becoming a Christian when he said that the Lord has become my salvation. I think he was talking about he was saved from the threat of the Egyptians killing him. So you see the word salvation takes a different meaning there. Let me give you another example. 2 Samuel 23.5 speaks of God bringing one's salvation. Does God bring your salvation? Well, in a sense, he does because he's very much involved. But on the other hand, he doesn't bring it like a big stack of magazines or something. Um, He brings salvation to your heart, and that gets to be a very mysterious thing. But God does do that. On the other hand, he brings more than just initial salvation. He brings the whole package, the whole road. He's involved in every part of that. And it says in 2 Samuel 23, 5, that he brings fruition to your salvation. Now, what in the world is fruition? It sounds like fruit. Actually, Literally, it talks about like a blade of grass or a stem or uh, a leaf. Um, And the basic idea behind that is that growth in the Hebrew, the word really is best translated growth. So, God brings growth. That's what the message is saying there. And that's a message very common in scripture in relationship to salvation. Again, You don't want to read into salvation, just initial salvation, but it's a whole lot more than that. Psalm 18, 2, it says, the strength of salvation, my stronghold. Usually people don't associate strength with conversion. Usually we think about, well, you give up and you give in to Jesus, um, that's not strength, that's weakness. You're, you're giving in because you know God is greater than you are. Then take a look at Psalm 28.8, where it talks about the fortress of salvation. The fortress of salvation. Most people probably wouldn't say that when they originally got saved, that they were a fortress But the context there, if you look at Psalm 28, it's talking about shepherding. And so it's like where you keep the sheep and the fortress is keeping us safe as the sheep of God. Also, um, repeatedly in the Psalms, rock is associated with salvation. Now, that doesn't mean people get saved because they're listening to rock and roll. It means that there is strength and there is protection and there is stability. The rock is our salvation. Jesus is our rock, but it's also the protection of the rock. Psalm 62 verses 2 and 6, Psalm 95 1, and I'm sure there are many other similar references. Okay, try on Psalm 1981 and then verse 166 and verse 174. That's the longest psalm in the Bible. Those parts of the psalm talk about waiting for salvation. You're waiting for rescue, for relief. Most people don't try to lead people to the Lord and then say, "Well, wait a while." Right? you'd like to see them come to the Lord right away. But again, it says to wait for salvation, not initial salvation, but you wait for God to move in his time and in his way. Isaiah 12.3, it talks about drawing water from the wells of salvation. Now that's an interesting phrase, drawing water from the wells of salvation. It sounds like you need to go back again and again, to get that fresh water for refreshment, for a fresh way of living, for um, just just to take a time and, and and get something to drink. No, the wells of salvation suggest that that helps you get down the road. You're not talking about initial salvation again. You're talking about salvation as a roadway that you're walking down. Another peculiar passage is Isaiah 60, verse 18, where it talks about the walls of salvation. The walls of salvation? We usually don't think about that. But walls suggest a protection by God. Then take a look at Romans 13, 11. It says, our salvation is nearer today than it ever was. Our salvation is nearer today. Well, if you're thinking about initial salvation, why don't you go ahead and make the decision? No, it's not talking about initial salvation. It's talking about the return of Christ. That's a part of our salvation. The return of Jesus is nearer today than it was yesterday. Here's one that a lot of people have wondered about. Philippians 2.12, it says to work out our salvation. What? What? The whole Bible, almost the whole Bible talks about that you can't work your salvation. In other words, it's not a result of what you do. It's not your works, but it's the faith that is given by God. So what does that mean? Working out your salvation. Well, it's probably talking about growth again. That step by step, you take those steps that help to complete that road, that salvation road that you're on. Uh, You meet those experiences and you're working out the details, you and God talking it out, working it out, and figuring out what you should do. Hebrews 2.10, Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. That's another unusual phrase. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation. Does that mean Jesus got saved? And so he's the first one? No, there was no reason for him to be saved. He didn't have any sin. No, it means he's the pioneer in terms of leading the way for us, showing us how to walk down that road. He makes us holy. That's in 2.11 of Hebrews. um, And, and he's showing us the way. He's navigating for us. He's keeping us on that path. 1 Peter two two talks about growing up in your salvation. That doesn't mean that you grow up while you're getting saved and initially. It's talking about growing as you walk down that long road, hopefully long road of salvation. It's talking about growing up. It's about maturity. Then turn to book the book of Revelation. In Revelation 7.10, as well as nineteen one, it says salvation belongs to God. Wait a minute. I thought salvation was given by God. Right. It, it, that's what happens. But this is salvation that is God's work in you. Salvation, that salvation belongs to God. God doesn't. It's not you trying to do it. It's God doing it. Okay, Matthew 24, 13. If you endure to the end, you shall be saved. So you can't get saved until you're dead? No, no, no. It means that if you endure to the end, that road of salvation is going to be completed. And that's what we're all counting on, isn't it? So, In the Bible, salvation can be initial salvation. It is the same thing as being saved, being born again, being converted. It can be that, but it can mean getting rescued, rescued from the enemies, being rescued on the battlefield for David, for example. But oftentimes this word salvation means growth. So the full picture of salvation is more than just initial commitment. And I hope that those verses have convinced you of that. So think of all those meanings. When you put them all together, it reflects the idea that salvation is a lifelong experience. It's like walking down a long road, the road of salvation, and it ends in heaven. So when you see the word salvation in the Bible, remember that it means more than just beginning the Christian walk. It can relate to anything that happens after you become a Christian, and maybe even includes a few things before you become a Christian, and the things that make you a better Christian. It includes times that Jesus protects you so that it builds up your faith. So let's see, we have four steps of preparation, getting you ready for salvation. For the frying pan people, they may all happen in a few minutes. For others, they happen over months or even years. Then you add the four steps, more or less, It varies a little bit, but you add those steps that are initial salvation when you come to Jesus. That gives us eight steps down the salvation road. But how many more steps are there? Well, I'm guessing there are probably hundreds, maybe even thousands. But there are some steps that are more important than others. Kevin has been talking quite a bit about the essentials of being a Christian. Those may be some of the earliest and most important steps but we cannot cover them all. That would take more than one program. In fact, most of the Bible describes the essentials, and we're not gonna try to cover the whole Bible in this program, sorry. So if we are now eight steps down the road, what is step nine? Not everyone's going to agree with me, I'm sure of that. But I think step nine is to find other genuine Christians, a group of believers that really want to serve Jesus and become more like Jesus. You may meet them in church or outside of the church, such as in a Bible study. Some churches have very few or even no Christians in them. But then other churches have quite a few. So don't expect people to be Christians just because they go to church. It's kind of like this. Not everything that is in your garage is a car. Not everyone in a hospital is a doctor or a nurse or a patient. Some are just visitors and some church people are just visitors. Some people go to church because they once knew Jesus, but they've been distracted by the cares of life. That happens. Jesus talked about it. They may be lukewarm. John said that in Revelation 3.16. They may not be excited about Jesus. And the danger is that they may try to keep you from being excited about Jesus. In the Old Testament, places of worship that were like that were called Ichabod. That means the Spirit has departed. You can check that out in First Samuel chapter 4. They're more interested in other things. Don't bother going to such churches. Try a Bible study. Or you could just ask a few friends to come to your house and listen to a PGN podcast. Discuss it with each other. And if you have questions that you can't answer, well, call us and leave a message. We'll get back to you either by phone or on the podcast. We love hearing from you. And we don't even pass an offering plate. But you might ask, is that enough? Well, you might want more than this week's podcast so check out some of the earlier podcasts as well the bible simply tells us to not forsake to get, getting together on a regular basis hebrews 10:25 but i feel i must warn you to avoid letting any group or any individual in the group to take the place of jesus jesus is our king our leader And anyone who tries to take his place in our lives by using things like influence or even force may need to be confronted or maybe even left. The Bible is very clear in stating that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. But if they help you, if they encourage you, if they're opening, if they're open to the questioning that you have, if they are genuine, if they reveal God's love, then the chances are you found a pretty good group with which to associate. But we need to be realistic about the people that we worship with, and of course, we fall short too. Some may argue that step 10 should be earlier in the progression, and I won't argue with that. It seems that a lot of these steps are pretty much equal in importance. And step 10 is especially important. The scripture must take a central place in our lives. By reading the Bible and studying it daily, you will find your spiritual life deepening, you may remember the church to whom Paul ministered that searched the scriptures every day to see if what he preached was accurate. Now they searched the Old Testament because the Old the New Testament was still not written. The Bereans were a great example for all of us. Check out Acts 17.11. So don't just take what someone says check it out by the book. Again, I must warn you not to rely exclusively upon what a particular speaker or minister says. Sometimes speakers will turn scripture to their advantage. It is crucial to read and study the Bible daily, and the result of developing this discipline is that you will find your spiritual life deepening. As you read, ask God to reveal to you what you need. It helps to study with other believers as you can discuss things and you can question things and you can talk it over in the process. Ideally, at least one person in a study group has a good biblical resource or two, like a concordance, maybe even a little Greek or Hebrew reference tool and that can help you understand certain passages, and with a concordance, it helps you find them. Again, if you need some help, give us a call. The phone is available 24 hours a day. You might have to leave a message because we aren't always available 24 hours a day, but leave the message, we'll get back to you. Of course, we need not begin at the beginning of the Bible. That's all right to start in Genesis, but you don't have to. You don't even have to begin at the beginning of a book. New believers often benefit by uh, reading the Gospels. They are valuable. And of course, the book of Acts, that's the early church, how it first got started and what happened. And other New Testament books are so helpful. But I'd like to put a little plug in for the Old Testament. It deserves study, too. It's it's the background that the New Testament writers drew upon when they did their writing. Of course, reading the Bible needs to be a two-way conversation. You combine prayer with reading. When God points out a weak area in your life when reading the Bible, think through the possible changes that may be needed. Keep track of what God shows you in the scripture so you'll remember what's needed and also so you can see how you have changed with time as you read the scripture. Just keep a journal, keep keep a little booklet of stuff about what's going on. Personally, I have some notes that go back 50 years to some of my earliest reading of the Bible. I'm not bragging by that. I'm just saying it means a lot to me. And what you write will mean a lot to you too, I'm sure. As you read the scriptures, try to get the big picture of how it all fits together. How each book and each section is a part of the entire book of the Bible. It's hard to do that, but it's a good idea. Maybe sometime we need to have a podcast about how to do that. I used to do that with Bible study groups. I had charts and diagrams and things that unfolded and so on. Um, But it's good to know what that big picture of the Bible is. It's surprising how people that have been Christians for years may not really know the whole picture and how each piece fits together and i encourage you to read scripture slowly let every word penetrate and change you Uh, read slowly take it all in while you're there again when we come to step eleven it's important enough to have it earlier in the progression speak to god as you read scripture as well as throughout the day God is your friend. Jesus is your friend, and he loves to hear you talk to him. But also, give him a chance to talk to you as well. There are times to meditate on the Bible and upon something that God impresses upon you. Sometimes it's just good to stop and think about what God has said. The Bible and prayer are two essential things that are needed to grow spiritually make them a regular part of your daily life cultivate a life of prayer look at ephesians 6:18 which talks about putting on the whole armor of god you need to prepare for spiritual warfare christ has already won the war he won it on the cross but we still have to enter the battle at his direction Now, look at all those pieces of armor in Ephesians 6. But where is prayer? Well, some would say it's the gauntlet, which is actually not mentioned there as one of the the, uh, parts of the armor. So anyway, it doesn't seem like it's even there, but actually prayer is there. Just read a little bit beyond there. In the next section, which is actually kind of wrapping up what this armor is all about, you find that prayer is linked with each part of the armor. Read that section on prayer that follows uh, the armor. When Paul ends that list of various pieces of armor, he focuses on the role of prayer. Never enter spiritual battle without prayer satan will not leave us alone you know he's like a lion he is he is a pain in the neck that's for sure so be sure and prepare yourself before you enter spiritual warfare now what if you've done all this and you still feel a disconnect with god it's possible that you need a fresh touch of God, a new anointing, or a filling of the Holy Spirit. Often the Holy Spirit is neglected by well-meaning Christians, but, but Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, and the work of the Holy Spirit was manifested soon after Jesus rose from the dead on the day of Pentecost. The work of the Holy Spirit can involve spiritual cleansing and power and renewal of your spirit. Sometimes leaders of a church or a small group will even lay hands on you. Or you can pray for the Holy Spirit when you're alone and earnestly seeking more of God. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you overflow with joy and love. Like salvation, It is not a quick fix for problems. So you have to learn to walk in the spirit. Jesus wants you to have more of him. So just ask him and open your heart further for all that he has for you. Now, I have to admit this step 12 is a bit controversial. Some insist that people need to speak in tongues as part of this experience that's a difference between Christians. Some churches are for it. Some churches are against it. What I would suggest is that you ask Jesus to guide you in this. Ask him to teach you about this and then follow what he says. In the Bible, it says about some things to let each one be convinced in his own mind. In other words, it's okay to disagree. That's Romans 14.5. It has to do with another issue, but I think it fits here. But the scripture also says to be sure you don't quench the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19 So if you take those two verses, I think you get some balance on this. Yes, people are going to disagree, but make sure that the Holy Spirit is not quenched or uh, minimized in the process. What's most important is that you stay open to whatever God has for you. Let the Holy Spirit fill you, indwell you, guide you. He will teach you the truth. He will guide you into all truth. But the Bible says you need to keep your lamp filled with oil. What that means is you keep yourself filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep a fresh connection with God, and He'll help you through. Take a look at Romans 5 5 before you go too much further. Well, we're down to step 13 step 13 step 13 is to cultivate hearing from god when you read the scriptures ask jesus to speak to you ask him to show the areas of your need and how to apply and use what you learn apply 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 you've heard that before we've talked a lot about that on the broadcast Ask Jesus to speak to you, and then listen for him. Get into the habit of ongoing conversation with God. I think that's what the Bible's talking about when it says, pray without ceasing. Step 14 is to tell others the story of your past life and how you came to Christ. This is sometimes called a witness or a testimony. When you come to know Jesus, the natural reaction is that you want to share that experience with others. Some groups suggest that you share what happened to you as soon as possible after you come to Christ, so it will be cemented into your life and your thinking. Tell others what you ask Jesus for and what you ask Jesus to do for you. It could be as simple as, Jesus save me. And that could be it. But use your own words. Don't use my words. Use your own words to describe how you talked with God. Then tell how your life has changed as a result. You might mention things like, he accepted me. He forgave me. He now lives within me. Or maybe some other ways of talking about it. Just tell us what you have experienced the idea of a testimony can be extended to giving regular reports to your small group about your walk with the lord the early church went so far as to confess their sins to one another that's in james 5:16 they did this in their home churches where there might not be very many people this may not work in a big group The church has always had problems with gossip. So don't confess openly until you know that group will keep a confidence. But share with the group what God is doing in your life and share what scriptures have especially spoken to you lately. Others may feel able to share more freely about God's working in their lives as a result. But it's a good idea to review your whole story at least once in a while, focusing not on BC days, BC means before Christ, but on the days since you became a Christian. It can be an encouragement to occasionally mention problems that you had even before you became a Christian, especially if someone else in your group has problems in that area that helps you connect with fellow believers. It might really help them. Let your light shine. Tell others your story. Let your light shine. Let them know that Jesus has done something in your life. A testimony to initial salvation, to your subsequent growth, to the insights you have day by day, to the miracles you've seen, to the Holy Spirit's work, to whatever happens in your life that is really of a spiritual nature. That's really important. Now, step 15 is to go a step further and share with those who do not yet believe in Christ. Some people do this more easily than others. I know that as a kid, I had a difficult time in this area because when I tried to tell someone I was a Christian, they would immediately tell me that they were too. And that was the end of the story. It took me several years before I realized that was a tactic to keep me from saying anything more. They didn't want Jesus interrupting their life. But if you share with others about what is God, God is doing for you, and something about the love and care of Jesus, and even what he's teaching you, people may change their attitudes and become more open about learning more, and perhaps even asking to be led to the Lord. I've heard some say that such witnessing is a test of faith, and if you don't do it, you may not get to heaven. Well, the Bible does say that we must confess him before people if we expect Jesus to confess us to God the Father. That's in Matthew 10, verses 32 to 33. Now, I don't think that means that it's a matter of whether you get to heaven or not. I think what this is saying is that you confess that you love Jesus and that you're you're connected to Jesus, and that you're living for Jesus at least with other believers, if it meant that we had to regularly talk about Jesus to everyone we meet, well, then there would be no need for the spiritual gift of evangelism that's mentioned in ephesians four eleven but even if we don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism it is a good idea to share with non-Christians a bit about your faith. Not in an oppressive and demanding way, but just talk about Jesus as your friend and make it a natural part of your conversation now and then. But if you never speak about Jesus to those who are not Christians, you might need to have a talk with Jesus about it. He can give a boldness that is missing in your life. But we must remain content, even if going to the streets witnessing is not our regular practice. I find it easier to speak to others about Jesus if I'm with another Christian. And that was the practice of the disciples, who were set out two by two to tell others about Jesus many around you need jesus just a word or two occasionally is better than not saying anything don't forget that you have what unbelievers desperately need whether they realize it or not tell others what christ can do for them listen for their needs listen for points of connection Listen for God's openings and his leadings. Be sensitive to spiritual readiness. Don't be obnoxious, but use opportunities to share. I remember quite a few years ago, I was working at that Christian radio station and a girl called me. She talked with a friend of mine for a while and they had a great time talking. And then she said she wanted to talk to me. When she talked to me, I sensed that she needed Jesus. So we talked, and we talked about her life, and we talked about her needs and that sort of thing. And eventually, I was, by the grace of God, able to lead her to the Lord. That's how telling others can work. Just make it a natural part of your life. And this is the last one we're going to mention. And that is to give to the needy and to love your enemies. There's a place for giving money, for giving food, for giving time. Visit those in prison. Look after the sick. Invite strangers. Clothe people. Where's all this coming from? Well, take a look at Matthew 25. It talks about the difference between sheep and goats. The sheep are God's true people, and the goats aren't. Matthew 25 sounds like such things are a matter of whether you get to heaven or not. Well, I think Jesus is saying that we should be serious about doing these things, so serious that it was as if eternal life depended on them. And there is the beginning of salvation. So those are, are important tasks to do. Now, there are many other steps that could be mentioned. We stopped at 16. But these steps are a beginning. And you'll learn that the other steps are important as well. And you'll learn about them by reading the scriptures and talking to other believers. I must tell you that I do not have the last word on the steps. I am not sure what order they're in. I'm not sure what is all involved in every one of those steps, and I may have left out some important ones. I'm speaking from my experience and from what I believe the Lord would have me say. But beware of entering into a bondage to others from their beliefs that may seem to be like the Bible. In Romans 8.15, it says, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you will live in fear again. Keep that in mind. The Holy Spirit does not make you a slave. There are other passages, especially in the book of Galatians, about not being bound again, bound as in slavery. Consider Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. There are churches, and even small groups, that can enslave you to rules that are added to the scripture, just like the religious leaders did at the time of Jesus' ministry. Jesus regularly took on these leaders and exposed the slavery for what it was. One set of people trying to put another group into bondage. It's just the nature of people to try to make slaves of other people, and sometimes that happens in churches and in small groups. Ask Jesus to show you how to resist such things if it should happen among those with whom you have fellowship. And and live for Jesus, reflecting his love and freedom to those around you. And please, please don't let these steps we've talked about become a legalism for you. Let Jesus teach you one step at a time. That is how we all learn to walk that pathway of salvation, that road of salvation that leads to God. We all fall short, but Jesus is there to pick us up when we fall down. I'd like to conclude with an old story about a poor man who walked by a monastery regularly on his way to town and then on his way back home. One day, he saw a monk a holy man of the monastery, and asked him, what do you do in there all day every day? And the monk told him, we fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. After the conversation, the poor man was encouraged. He realized that if even a holy man fell down, there was hope for him. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian was that the Christian gets back up after he falls down. And Jesus helps us get back on our feet, forgives us for what we did wrong, and empowers us to walk again. We get to walk again down the salvation road.
0: Pure Gospel Network is an intergenerational, Christ centered, not for profit internet mission church. A network of believers from many different backgrounds who are passionate about reaching out to others. Your Voice in the Wilderness, a church online since 98, now known as pgn.church, operates 100% on your tax-deductible donation.